Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Entrepreneurial Impact. And as we like to do from time to time, we like to have guests. So today we have Dr. Win Tran. And Dr. Tran is, is a chiropractor. And I'm going to have to put you because medical terms always tongue-tie me and twist me a little bit. Um, education. It's definitely that fiddly education, right? But it, it's more than just chiropractic. It's, it's health and wellness and self-being and how do you take your care of of yourself, and as we dive into the conversation today, we're we're going to gain into the importance of health, managing stress, and how entrepreneurs really are affected, and things they can do to take care of themselves. Before we get there, what's always been our, our main mantra of the story is the impacts that you have gone through, your life's journey, and and how that has formed you and who you are. Right? What moves you and what your passions are. That story is your foundation. So what I don't want to go in it because I think I think it's massive. So I want you to have to go in it. But you had a unique journey just to be here today from where you came from. I, I would love to hear about that, how you came from Vietnam, why and how that happened, and what brought you here and what moved you to do and take care of people today through chiropractic. Well, first, hello, everybody. Uh, thank you for inviting me and, and thank you for allowing me to, to tell my story today. Uh, my name is Dr. Nguyen Tran. I'm from Vietnam, and I escaped from Vietnam in 19, uh, in 1988. Uh, I'm one of the boat people, if any, any of you ever heard about it. Um, we consider boat people because we escaped by boat. Um, and I was, uh, I'm, I'm 48 now. Uh, so I, when I escaped Vietnam, I was 13. And, you know, uh, even though I grew up in Vietnam, I, I was born right after the Vietnam War. So life was really tough, especially with my situation because my mother used to work for the U.S. government um, before the, the war. So after that, it was, we were um, heavily discriminated just because of, you know, political issues and things like that. So I grew up with my grandparent and uh, my mother saw that we wouldn't have a future. Uh, so she'd been planning to escape many, many times. Uh, but I didn't know anything because, you know, you don't tell kids things that you don't want people to know. Um, so in 1988, um, we actually, we live in the South, in, in uh, the South, but we try so many times. She tried so many times, she failed. Uh, because almost like underground, you have to pay someone and then a lot of time, you know, there's no receipt like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> so you pay and you, they never come back or, and then it's time when she get caught. Anyway, after several times, many years later in 1988, we actually uh, went to the North for a summer trip. I was astounding because it's the first time I get to travel on a on a ship and far away, a seven-day trip. And my brother and I, my brother was uh, eight years old. And we went to the north and was like, oh, man, it's great. Nothing we know that, you know, we'll be escaping. Uh, so the trip was just a good dessert. And then after that, there's no appetizer or nothing after that. Um, anyway, so we got to the north. Uh, but long story short, uh, we get on a boat, a sailboat to escape, which was supposed to be, you know, like a five-day trip, and up to be 24 days uh, in the ocean. And uh, we have severe storms. So there was 20 people paid to get on the, the boat, but end up there's 64 people on the boat because there's no such thing as, you know, check ticket, right? So right. in the middle of the night, everyone run to the beach and jump on this tiny little round rowboat. And I just remember very clearly that my brother was running in front of us and he was so excited. I was like, oh, it's part of mom, be careful. Yeah, and then and I, I get on and jump in, grab his hand and, 
I go like this, and somebody knock hit me in the head with the row, and I was like, lay down, lay down. I was like, okay, okay, okay. So I get my head down, and after a while, we get to this tugboat. And, you know, I've never been on a boat, you know, my life, because I live in the, the mount. I don't know how to swim. Anyway, so we get from the boat and uh, the tugboat. Now I know it's tugboat. Back then, I didn't know what it was. But and then we get over there, and we were traveling, and all I could smell was the diesel fuel, right? It smelled. And after, I don't know how long we were traveling, and then we go to the sailboat. So apparently now I know why, because the sailboat cannot sail in a bay. You have to go out to get the wind. So at we were, everybody would jump over. We had to the boat, we tuck together, and then everybody jump over, right? And then one of, so at I step over, uh, about to get the boat separate. I said, oh, and then somebody grabbed me in the neck and pulled me back. Uh, that was my uh, my uncle, my wife's uh, cousin. Uh, I could have gone, you know, because that time nobody gonna save you. So that's the first time I almost faith bet there. But along the trip, um, the boat was just no engine, just sailboat. Sixty four people on that boat. We it took a day and a half, two day and two night, three day and two night. We get escaped to Vietnam, get into China, and then we get to China. It was amazing because now we're still alive. Because that entire trip, we was, I remember keep hearing my brother asking for water because he's puking. We was seasick so bad. Mm -hmm. um, when we get to the, and I saw people, you know, on, on, inside the boat, but we on top. I was like, wow, they're so brave. But then that was the best place because we're so tight that everybody lay on top of each other. So all the smell, all the odor was, was horrible. But after we get on land, and that's when we realized there's 64 people and only 20 people actually paid for the trip. And the person who organized it never came. He took the money and gone. Um, so now we have to decide how we're gonna proceed from there. So my mother used to um, speak a little bit Chinese. So she gathered everybody together and said, you know, why don't you guys give me any, any saving and jewelry you have? We need to buy an engine. So they bought an eight horsepower engine and they put on that boat. Um, now, and then they was fighting to say, okay, we're not gonna let this 44 people get on because they never pay for it. But my mother, you know, she was tough. She's like, no, we are the, we, we get here together, we live together, we die together. So, okay, everybody's get on. It was like, ah, you know, the Hong Kong's two day away, you know, no big deal, everybody get on. And so we, we left the, uh, the island, up China and we're heading to Hong Kong. Now, nobody know where we are going. Anyway, so we keep going and I think like five hours in and we go in one direction. I see, we see, see boat go the opposite. Now, because I'm, I'm more brave now, um, I get on top of the little, you know, bamboo cover and I lay on, I said, that was the best light because you had breeze and all that. And now I, I think I get used to the seasick, so I'm not seasick anymore. But then the skies are getting dark and we realize everybody go the opposite direction because the storm is coming. And they keep telling us, turn around. We have no idea, we keep heading in right straight to it. So now they have to make a decision. Either we turn back or do something, are we gonna die? Because I can't touch the water when I'm on the boat. That you see how, how shallow, mm -hmm. how close it is to the... So they decide everybody they're gonna duck onto a the, the shore and then we're gonna walk over and they're gonna take the boat around. Because on the map you can see from Vietnam, in order for you to go from Vietnam to China, there is a huge 
canal channel that you have to go through. And if we take that boat to the channel, it definitely gonna die. So everybody get off. Now, same thing, you know, because you, you can't get the boat in very close, everybody jump down. And same thing, I jumped out and water way over my head. Somebody saved me one more time. <laughs> and the thing is, you know, when I get here, I'll be like, how do I survive? I didn't, sw I can't swim. And, you know, we drop into water so many times. But I guess, you know, he didn't want me to die. So I, so, and, and when the boat left, only two people, the captain and another um, middle-aged man, you can only see the tip of the shell from you standing on the soil. That was how high the wave was. Mm -hmm. So we weren't sure if they're going to make it, but we keep walking. So we're walking the whole day. We walk from like early in the in, at night, morning to morning, and then nightfall. So they finally came around, and oh my God, by then we saw that, that the boat come in. We were so happy, but we were starving. No food. So anyway, so we, we stopped by there, and then they um, they look for food. Well, they, 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 some all the you know, adult went somewhere. They came back with a pig, dead pig. I was like, yeah, we get food. Next thing you know, oh my, all of a sudden, as soon as they put the pick on the on the boat, people came from out from nowhere, everywhere. That's boat, because so the whole village came surrounding us. Apparently, that some adult decided to steal a pick, and the village saw it, but they didn't stop them. They let them do it, and then they followed them to the boat, and then everybody's on the knee. I thought we're gonna die, you know, and then everybody's on the knee begging for our life. So they took out that they actually tucked our boat into the bay and they took the engine and they let, let us go. Now, you can't leave because you know you can't go in the bay without the wind. So everybody that can swim, jump in and swim and pull the boat out. So you, you know how heavy that boat is. So we get out and then so they took the engine and they, they didn't took the, uh, the diesel fuel that we have. So we wait to some of the fishermen local and was like, you know, if you can tuck us, we give you this. So they took us for five hours. And then from then on, it just, you know, the, the mercy of the wind. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so that's a long one. But anyway, so that's, that's 24 days later. We, we thought we were going to die because the last storm we hit broke the sail. And we're just floating around. And at this time, everybody was like coughing like crazy, eyes all red. And you go like this, your hair was all like the lies is everywhere. And that's it, you know, you know, this end of life. Um, and we know it uh, because we had nothing left, no sail, no, we don't know where we were. And I was, I was like, I didn't, and I also, the boat was rocking heavily, really heavily. And I was like, okay, that's it. But then we see bright light, really bright. And I was like, is it heaven? You know, you think, <laughs> like and you're like this, you're like, you're like that. And you see there's a, like this wall, the black wall up, and you cannot see the top. Apparently, the Hong Kong Coast Guard. Why we had the last storm, we have a big, I think, white flag on top. And before the cell broke, somebody detects us and called the Coast Guard and they found us. And I was so weak that my brother and I couldn't move much. So they actually come down and help pick us up and carry up, up the, the, the rope ladder. Now, when I get on there, I don't know where the engine comes, I get on there, I, you, know, you know, I have to be on my knee, like kneeling, sitting, everybody, the entire, because we were considered illegal immigrants. Um, so I looked down at our boat and I was like, how do we did, how did we do it? I mean, you either kill me now, I'm not getting down there. Even at 13, I was so frightened of looking down of how we survived that last 24 days on this tiny little boat. Mm -hmm. It had to have some miracle somewhere. We had three storms. Then last storm hit us. And so 
Anyway, so that that's my tour. But then sadly, because we get to Hong Kong on August 18, 1988, we are considered illegal immigrant because Hong Kong accept refugee up to June 16, 1988. Oh we were two months behind. And you know, Vietnam used to be like Cuba, right? So mm -hmm. there's no information coming in and out. We're completely isolated. So now, next thing you know, we were in prison. It's called detention camp. But interestingly, last night I was looking through my mother's stuff and my mom passed away 24 years ago. But I found our car that you can see. So when you become the refugee, you no longer have a name. You have a number. So that is wow. a number. See, that's, that's, you took, you took a. <laughs> oh, man. You see, that's all you have. She has pictures and then you have a number. Yeah. Wow. So they no longer name. So I, I can call myself Dr. One, two, three, five, one. Um, so that, so yeah, that's another story. Anyway, so, but what they do is that, so even though we're in prison, they, you know, they feed you three times a day, um, but they have something called screening where, the Hong Kong Immigration Office will talk to you and select you if you are a political ref, uh, refugee, meaning you left Vietnam, so like my mother, okay. and you can prove to them that you left because of that, they, they give you a freedom. If you left because of hardship, no, back, you know, they send you back to Vietnam. But because she was supported by the yeah, government? Because she were able to contact her um, U.S. Uh, employee, like, I don't know, she has a friend over here, and they send some document, and then she proved to them that she used work uh, for the U.S. government, so they gave us free. But sadly, I was imprisoned uh, for a year, so they, they have the number, and mine was 12,000, right? So it's, there's like 12,000 people in front of me. But sadly, because people were desperate, so they start doing all kinds of stuff. We do hunger strike, we protest. Now, a year, exactly about a year and two months, the second Christmas we were in prison, they found that that somebody gonna, the Hong Kong police gonna come in and arrest some people in the camp. And we have, so we're living in the uh, camp where it's about um, 2,000 people, about almost 3,000. So they have 10 huts, each hut have bunk bed, three level bunk bed, back to back like that. So they have side to side and then six per one of those beds. So we have 270 people in one of those rooms. Right, um, and they lock you up at night. Ten o'clock, they lock you up, and then seven o'clock morning, they open up. Um, but anyway, so so we have nowhere to go. But then they come in, they gonna arrest someone, and somehow somebody know and leak the information. So the whole camp decide to protest. They dig up the ground, uh, they pile up all the gate with uh, plastic, and they burn it. Now, and then on December 29, 1989, at 5 a.m., they were banging on the metal, you know. Form and I ran out to the front of the camp and there was and because it's an island in the middle, middle of nowhere, so there is two barbed wire uh, and you can see the beach and the dock, and you can see two or three um, Hong Kong police ship actually docking. They had the little open, mm -hmm. and you can see police are running with like anti-terrorist seals and everything surrounding the camp. It's like oh my god, and you know I was. 14 it was mm. fun exciting <laughs> you know you know, you know, like, know what a night out with you is like that's fun exciting. yeah you know, i mean you know after a year you know you don't see things you don't see anything yeah. fun so like that was interesting and my friend and i would you know and then they they were saying hey give up or nobody give up and all of a sudden they said they start shooting tear gas 
Kentucky hip hop folk. And then the, and my friend was laughing because and then I was like, <laughs> and then you can you start choking. Have you ever had tiga? It's the worst thing you can imagine. Like you not you lie, you don't pass out, but you can't breathe. You gasp for air and. Because my mother used to be in the world, so she know how to, to deal with that. So it's like to get water and, and a towel and just cover your face. But you can do so much of it. So we were running around camp and there's no place to run. So eventually after a few hours, they gave up, right? So um, they came in, we all kicked out the camp. You look in, it looked like a, a, a war zone. And it's in December, so it's got cold. It's like 10 degrees Celsius. Everybody's like sitting, was hungry. But so it took a year for them to finally come in back for the interview. Mm -hmm. So we have another extra year for no reason. We go, we do stupid thing. So finally in 1990, 90, uh, middle of 90, that's when our turn to interview. And then we got our freedom. My mother and my brother and I, we, we left the camp and go to another camp where she can work in a factory and I can go to school, but it's just a refugee school. Mm -hmm. Just keep us occupied. And then we were there for about eight months and then we go from there to the Philippines. Um, so we had tear gas, we had hunger strike, and then, it's my luck, I got to the Philippines. A month later, volcano erupted. Pinatubo, Mount Pinatubo. It was 600 years sleep, and I all of a sudden decided to wake up at that time when I was there. Um, so in the middle of the night, you know, five in the afternoon, all of a sudden, all the house was like sandy. Because in the camp, you have the little hut you stay, and it's very hot, so there's a lot of opening everywhere. And you can clean the house, the, 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 dining table and then she, uh, five minutes later it's like dusty again and then what, what, what's going on and we realize oh um you know it's going to erupt soon you have earthquake tonight and everyone's oh you know the american are coming rescue us and i look at them i was like there's ten thousand people here nobody gonna come and i was like okay so what happened you have earthquake. you should stay inside or stay outside i said that's not where you stay right earthquake where you stay you know so so we went to bed and we said if it collapse then we might as well bury here you know it's better than sleep so we went to bed we went to bed and then uh exactly about midnight you start feeling the hell rocking because i went on the second floor and i was okay if i die i die right sleep close my eyes sleep and we fall asleep and i don't know for a while and then we keep sleeping and it's never the light it's keep being dark and finally we were like wake up i was like what happened my face so it was sandy all over the second floor we turn on the flashlight because there's no electricity at night. And there was that much ashes, you know, all, all inside uh, inside the house, inside the, 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 the apartment. And I run downstairs with my, so we have two families stay together. So, and then mom said, what, what, what happened? He's like, look, and then we look and it's like, you know, what are you gonna do? Um, so we, we had some canned food, we ate a little bit, and go back to sleep, 48 hours later, finally see the light. And then it's so interesting, like, when we opened, the, we couldn't open the door because it's the ash, same thing. I had a picture here too because I saved those. Um, but the ashes on the, um, in the in the ground was amazing. It's like snow here, you see, but that's on the roof. It's all, oh, yeah, all the ashes covered. So we push out and we only see smoke the head sticking everybody sticking head out so what happened now so we like okay we so some adult really it was like okay we have to push the ash down because they have another one coming will collapse because the building was built in 1979 and that was 1991 that was pretty old 
So, you know, everybody need to do their job. And I was 16, so I have to get up there and we tie a rope around one person and hold the rope and they push down like that. So I fail first time I went up and, but I get up the second time. I, I, I did my work and everything. Now we move to the bathroom. So I was like, okay, you know, usually this, the tip is the strongest, right? I was like, okay, let me, let me climb over there and, and start doing, I, as soon as I step my foot from here over there, the thing collapsed, I go straight down. But fortunately for me, they have, you know, the public bathroom, we have the concrete wall like this. Mm -hmm. I fell this way. If I fell this way, I would have been buried in the Philippines. And it's after that, I get to go. I don't have to do any more chore because I did my job. But so those are all the things that, but anyway, so when I came here, I was 17 mm. and I was throwing ninth grade. I left Vietnam when I was finished seventh grade. So I came here to Lake Braddock and I was enrolled into high school and I was in ninth grade. I've had my first scantron ever. I look at that and I was like, what, what, I, I don't know what it, my English was not much at all. So I, I, I failed miserably, uh, miserably on that um, first exam but at the end of the year I, I get to manage to get up to a b plus but all year in high school every single summer i took every summer school i took esl and by the time i graduate i have 30 extra credit and now it sounds like okay you know it's great no i had to do it because i don't have another choice um because i have to catch up and then so we talk about sometimes a lot of time we talk about stress sometimes we go through the dark time but then our body very quickly forget those times mm -hmm. And then sometimes we get so comfortable that a little struggle, you know, messes up. Same thing with me. Every now and then I feel so stressed out about something. And then like somebody remind me of how I get here. And I was like, What's going on? You know, I came here. I didn't speak English. I had nothing but my bare hand. I get here today. If something happened, I can always start over. I have my English. I have my knowledge. So somehow we forgot where we've been just because, you know, as you get to some level in life or... And so society, you get more comfortable and then we become softer. And then we create the stress on ourselves. Because mm -hmm. everybody asks us how you deal with stress. We talk about stress, but do we ever identify what our stress is? Just like the phone, you have 200 apps running, your battery going to drain. Right? Oh, we all have one battery. We don't have backup battery. Well, your mindset around all this is just incredible. I mean, you've gone through things that people would ne could never compare to right not comparative but to even have hard time time to digesting and hearing you say well i i had to emotionally you didn't have to but your mindset and your drive was like well i just did all that so this is nothing i'm gonna i'm gonna rock through this i'm gonna get caught up and i'm gonna capitalize on the opportunity that i have to be here and that's why i love to travel the world you see because i think it's sad because united states is the most powerful country of the world but i i think that we slowly going backward because the social media is so rarely available. Like 30 years ago, you want to see the world. You have to travel around mm -hmm. the world. Right. Now you pop the phone, you see everything. But that's the thing. Who's controlling what you want to see and what you hear? Yeah. So, every, uh, so a lot of time, one single entity uh, can direct and manipulate the information. So you think you know the truth. You think you hear things. You think you're very knowledgeable. But sometimes we're actually very ignorant. Mm -hmm. And that's why you see the stress you have and you think that's, oh my God. But when you travel, like I just came back from medical mission in Vietnam uh, two months ago. And for Vietnam, it's, I, I, we were helping 
2,200 people in six days. But all these children that I saw, they can barely speak Vietnamese, even though they live in Vietnam, because they're small tribe. 2,200 people in six days? Yeah. Yeah, we have, uh, yeah, we have eight dentists, two doctors, four pharmacists, me, and then 40, 50 other um, volunteers. We see 200 dental patients a day. And they go from four years old to um, about 12. But here's the amazing thing. Half of those volunteers are teenagers from here. You know, how I have four children, so I know how they are. Like a little ethnic update, like one is like, oh my God, what's up? What happened? They go over there, they work for, from, they have to wake six in the morning, they work at 7.30 to four in the afternoon under 95 degree Fahrenheit with 100% humidity, with, you know, very not proper toilet. Nobody complain. Why? Because there's hundreds of children sit out there under the sun for four hours and none of them complain. And all of a sudden they're like, oh my God. God, I'm a lot more fortunate than they do. You see, so that's the same thing with us. Sometimes we, we, that's why I tell people, take time to travel the world. It's not just for, for uh, you know, stress relief or anything like that, but to see the world to open, to change the perspective, um, then you might see, you know, if you live in this country, you're more fortunate than, I don't know, like 80, 90% of the people in this world. Mm -hmm. But sometimes we forgot just because we're in here, we don't see outside. But I think it's interesting just to tie in like, the impact that entrepreneurial businesses can have is that what I hear, and I, I got some other questions in here, is the story has been really impactful, is that the ability to have your own practice afforded your, the flexibility to go to back to Vietnam to actually service and give back to people that are under medicalized, like as far as like treatment goes and that kind of thing, which I think is actually when you think about entrepreneur, like the entrepreneurial journey has a lot of people talking about just like impact and the ability to be your own boss and have flexibility. Very few people I know have actually taken that part of the business and actually use the flexibility to actually have a larger skill impact. Well, let me, let me actually modify this. So it's not always like that. For 12 years, when I first started out um, on my own, right, I, I did not go, I didn't see my father for eight years. Because like everybody else, start our business. I work 12 a day, six days a week. Time out. Hold on. I just want to make sure everybody understands this is that when you get in a medical field, it's like it's not like, hey, I'm just serving and taking care of people. Like it's a grind. Yes. And like your story that you're telling, because I got a grandfather and aunt and uncle that are uh, OBGYNs. Like it's not like, oh, they're a doctor. They go in and treat people and they go home at five o'clock. It's a full grind. And what I think is really cool to make the connection from your story, which is why we wanted you to share it, is it's a mindset journey because you basically, what I'm hearing you say is you took that mindset for what got you to the U.S. and you basically applied that mindset to your grind to get your business off the ground. So continue, but I think that's a huge connection for people listening, is that the mindset that happens in your personal life bleeds into your professional life and that type of mindset actually has the impact to where you are today. So continue, I apologize. Yeah, and, and you know, like, so because I'm a boat people, right? I'm a refugee. So basically, I own a lot to a lot of people, this country. But along the way, I met so many wonderful, wonderful people, like people who barely know me. And they, they even the people in, in Hong Kong, you know, they, they, they don't know who we are. They don't know obligate help us, but they help us. They save us, like the Coast Guard that saved us from, from the boat, the people in the camp who actually, you know, feed us. And also when I came to the U.S., you know, there's... So one of the stories I have is also very amazing. So right before I graduate from high school, I had to go to George Mason and I didn't have a car. And you know, in Virginia, you have a, no car, you can't really go anywhere. So I talked to my, um, 
to Castle, I was like, you know, I'm not sure how I'm going to go to school. Cause, and I work every single day. I work, uh, I go to school from uh, seven in the morning to four, three something. I get home and I go, I work at Pizza Hut from six to 12. And then I get home at one. And then, so I do that over and over again. But still, like with that, I could not save money to buy a car. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, he go back, he talked to his wife. And then, uh, you know, right before I graduate, and he's like, don't worry, you know, I'll help you out. And I was like, okay, you help me out. Well, I'm confused anyway. But after I graduated, he took me to the bank, had one piece of paper, say a paragraph said, okay, Wintrain owe me $7,000 uh, for 10 years with no interest. And, and and I was, I was, you know, I was shocked. Like he, he barely know, he know me three months before I graduate. And he would lend me $7,000 to buy my first car to go to school. The car was six thousand, a thousand dollar for insurance, and when I, in two thousand five, when I could have graduated ninety five, I pay him, and he completely forgot about it. You see, and that's why I do everything I can, and financially I cannot help a lot of people, but whatever I can with my knowledge, what do I learn? You're saying he forgot about, but you didn't. No, every year, no, I, I, I could never forget it. My wife always make fun of me. Um, I think part of because I think that's why I have a lot of friends that really care because I care. Sometimes I forgot if I lend people money, but when somebody does me some good thing, I just can't can't forget it. And even now, he 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 had so much admiration for me. At seventy, he gra- he he retired as a counselor. He went back to school and get his doctor in history. And then he drive Uber. And he <laughs> it, 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 amazing thing. And he do it just for fun. And now he's eighty and he look very healthy and he's great. Um, but you know, I own forever in debt. And here's the thing. After I graduate, and, and this is the other thing about cultural too, and there's like how, why I come a lot of immigrant immigration or immigrant work hard. Well, because we have a purpose, mm-hmm. right? We, we like I, my mom sacrificed her life for us, and we almost died many times just to get the freedom we have right now. I mean, that's not for free. And so, but that's the other thing that I think a lot of people confuse here is is a lot of people think that freedom was granted. No, you earn it. Right. It, 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 that's why I try not to take everything for granted. I do forget sometimes, but that's why every now and then when I talk about this story, it reminds me of where I came from and it helped me to get stronger. But at the same time, it helped me to realize I used to talk to my kid like this. You're so lucky. You know how. But then I was wrong. How would they know? They were never there. It's like you try to expand, uh, explain somebody in, uh, to somebody an elephant, right? It's not how many times you describe it. It never worked. But you show the picture one and they will never forget. So I took them there instead and show them, you know, where life, tough life is. Same with me. If I don't, I wasn't there, I wouldn't know how my parents used to live. But I think sometimes that, that's another conflict that we have with the next generations. But anyway, so, you know, he, he lent me that money. He would never. And then even now, I, I couldn't pay him. Because he, he, it's funny, I take him out for lunch. He's like, no, let me pay for it. I said, no, let me pay. He's like, no, I get more check than I can do. You spend right now because I have a favor card check. But see, see his, his, his um, generosity never ends. I was like, no, no, let, let me pay, let me pay. But now instead of me paying him, I pay someone else. I help someone else. I think mm-hmm. that's how yeah. we're supposed to be. So like you guys, you know, we all have to earn a living. But I don't think people can make enough money ever, right? Because no money is enough. But the thing is, your life is limited, not limitless. And you know, if you spend all your life earning and don't using, don't live a life, what's the point of making all the money? Think about why we have so many depression here. 
because you lost purpose. Because what you do the same thing, we become a machine. It's automatic. Every morning you wake up, do the same routine, same routine, and you wonder one day, 50 some years old, you're like, what have I accomplished in my life? You know, when is it going to end? When was the last time you had fun? Real fun, not like I tell myself, oh, you know, I, I have fun spending time. Yes, yes, and no. You enjoy spending time with them, but do you actually have fun? Sometime, not all the time. Um, you know, most vacation with a kid, you go home, you want another vacation, right? Yeah. <laughs> vacation, um, vacation, exactly. Um, but, you know, that's, that's some, some simple thing that we forget. You have to find your fun. You know, you have to enjoy, you know, do something for yourself. Take, Because, you know, one thing I realized is we always said, okay, when you marry, there's no longer you, there's us. No, you're wrong. There's still you in there somewhere. Otherwise, we get lost. Because you can't do us so much, right? And then some, that's, it's good to be selfless, but then you cannot completely forget yourself because your body needs you as much as anyone else. I am still like in shock of this story. So I usually have really good questions. And right now I'm still just kind of like sitting in it being like, that's one hell of a journey. Uh, and for anybody that says they have a hard day at work, they should probably shut up and listen. Um, so let me ask you this question. Like, I think the story that you just told gives a lot of entrepreneurs and the people like our audience perspective on life. Like I think when you have a hard day and you're like, oh, I got told no a hundred times on the phone, making phone calls or uh, the deal didn't work or whatever. And then you hear your story, you start to realize my pain points probably aren't that bad. Um, and my life is pretty good. So let me ask you this question. You've got a, an amazing mindset that doesn't matter if it's in personal life, professional life is applicable for people to keep moving forward and understanding that you have a purpose and you still got to, like your 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 statement was, I didn't have a choice. <laughs> like, <laughs> And I think most times like recognize I didn't have a choice, I didn't move forward. What would be three mindset um, tips that you would give people when they're in a very highly stressed environment? Like your go-to, highly stressed, you say, these are my three like, rules that I would follow in order to get through it from a mindset perspective? Well, like I said, first is identify your stress. Write it down. What are the stress that you're dealing with? And then with all those stress, you know, the funny thing is when you actually write it down, it might not be as many as you think. And also when you identify those stress, divide into which is in your control and what is not. Because think about it, when the first thing that you go to a doctor is we have to diagnose what's wrong with the patient. It's not hard to treat someone. It's hard to get figure out what's wrong with them, right? Mm -hmm. Well, you say you're stressed. What are you stressed about, right? So that's number one. Mm -hmm. Identify your stress because when you identify them, you will come up with a solution. And then if the one that you can't control, let's say I'm stressed about the weather going to go bad. Right? What are you going to do with that? I trust going to get attacked a lot at the end of the day. Well, make more money first before you worry about taxing. Mm -hmm. So it's thing like that. So sometimes we, um, the other thing is, especially now, like for your work from home, um, the other advice is only allocate one area of physical space for your work. And as soon as you're done work, take a walk. You're from home. I highly, highly recommend take a walk for 10 minutes to decompress and put the hat of work down and close that door and come home. Yeah, it's, you bring up a really good point. I, I especially, especially with... with um, uh, risk the agent, because most people work from home, right? 
So it's never end. A lot, a lot. Of, there's a lot of people in our industry that are husband wives that work together, and a lot of just the business owners that work together. And and I used and my wife and I we own our own business, and we both work from home. Both had offices at home, and everything did revolved around working at home, and that was incredibly unhealthy. And we realized we had to take it outside of the home. Yeah, because you have to have a physical space. It was an office, right? Because we have to remember you have we have different roles, right? And just to take a hat. I think this is a fun, fun fact, a uh, fun, fun game we should do. Get a bunch of hat and write down, dad, husband, uh, work, friend, and maybe every now and put that hat on. So when you go home, what hat do you wear? When you're out in the office, what hat do you wear? I think it's not only healthy for, it's healthy for relationship too, because you know, especially, it's interesting, I don't know if it's appropriate here, but I have nine friends in, in, in college, nine female friends that all very successful in business, but all divorced. Why? Because, you know, when they work like, like us, like a man, you know, they come home, they're like, if I work like you, why do I have to do the wifey stuff? But hey, you know, you marry, you're not marry a boss. You're not marry a CEO. You're not marry the president, right? You marry a wife, or a lover. So sometimes when we get so stressed at work that they never end. So when you go home, you, you forgot to take off the boss hat. You maybe overlap with the wife hat and then that's when bad things go wrong. Lose the relationship. Yeah. So just get different hat and put it on and, and maybe. And because myself, I make a mistake of, you know, I didn't do a good job at father hat because I remember I told you guys I worked 12 a day for 12 years, you know. Mm -hmm. And because I was by myself, I, I didn't have any choice. And same thing, I did have a choice, but I, right. because I thought I didn't have a choice. Mm -hmm. But I could have closed, you know, hour and work less. But like any entrepreneur, we start out with, we were remember, job is something you do for life, not a few years. If you burn, it, you burn yourself out before the end, then what's the whole point of it? You're building a business and you don't have, you know, the, the health and, and the energy to enjoy your, the fruit of success. So all the thing you put in, that's maybe why we fail sometimes. I think it's beautiful. Like I, the, your takeaways just for everybody, like as you're giving those stories and your perspective on it was like, identify your stress, then being able to say, like, are you in control of it or are you not in control of it? Because that's huge. Like, if you're not in control of it, like, you got to figure out, like, it's not worth stressing out about. But the third part was really cool about how do you create a system or process in your life to separate parts of your life? Because when you let it bleed over to your point about, like, the, the relationship, if you let parts of your life bleed into the other side of your relationship or your life can actually be detrimental to it, which I thought was really um, – cool to see to the perspective of um, you're working to facilitate a life, but if your life turns into all work, then you're actually not leading a life that's actually meaningful because then it just becomes a complete professional life and there's no end how much money you can make, but your life is finite. So you're actually hindering your ability to create experiences that are actually worth, which is why you got in the business to begin with to fund a great life they're actually not experiencing it, which I think is really insightful for everybody that's listening that's an entrepreneur, is that your impact is amazing as an entrepreneur because you can create awesome um, experiences for people, be able to give, you're able to give time, you're able to give services, you're actually able to like see your work manifest in a way that changes someone's life. But if you get, what I'm hearing you say to kind of wrap up is that, but if you get so engrossed in the professional side of what the entrepreneur life could be, you actually lose the ability to have an amazing life, which is what you set out to be at the beginning. You know, I, I have, and I look at your story and your background, and, and I appreciate, and I can hear it through the details and the emotion of your story and sharing of, of how you 
survived that initial journey and, and multiple survival stories in that in itself. And then having somebody showing up and helping you prepare for college. And I, and I get through you that obviously paying it back is important. What was it that becoming a doctor and, and chiropractor and spinal rehabilitation and acupuncture that allows you to do that? So it's very interesting. Um, when I was young, when I was small, I always, my dream was be an engineer. But I don't know, somehow when I went in refugee camp, something changed. I'm not sure what, but I started treating people in there. Back then I was 14, 15, and I treat people headache. I do massage, I pull the hair. I, I don't remember how I learned or where, but... And then when I came here, I always, all of a sudden, I, I, like, I want to help people. And then, you know, a lot of Asia back in the day, you know, doctor, when you say help people, they always think of a doctor. Right? But now I realize if you're a billionaire, you can help a whole country. Right? Doctor, you can have one person at a time. Mm -hmm. So anyone can help someone at least, uh, you know, if you wanted to. But so then I think that's where it shipped me because I received so much help um, during the journey and here, and I want to get back. But my knowledge there is, you know, the only way you can help people is being a doctor. Okay. So my thing was just, if I want to be a doctor, well, also back in the day, you know, doctor, you, you make good money so you can help people. So doctor was what I thought of. Uh, chiropractor was just something accidentally happened along the way after my mom was diagnosed with cancer. And that's the other, the other story that kind of pushed me in, in another direction of, of, of medical uh, profession. I, I want to be a dentist. I want to be a family doctor. But then something happened to my mom that I was really frustrated with her doctor, her care. Uh, her care. So then, um, so that's how I stumbled on chiropractic care and, and acupuncture. But same thing, even, but even when I become a chiropractor, I don't have a lot of confidence in what I can accomplish. I was like, what can you do with crack, pop, and push? But when I actually do those things, I realize I'm the only one, the chiropractor, the only one to ever care of your spine. We don't realize how important your spine is, your central nervous system, your backbone. Any business that want to be strong, they have a strong backbone, right? What about you and me? Mm -hmm. You don't have strong backbone. You think you'll be healthy? And that's what motivated me more and more pushing because before computer, before all this come around sitting, we don't have problem with back pain. But it's not the pain that worries me because the sitting doesn't cause pain. It's called faster breakdown of your body. Just like if you're here, your car would Imagine if your car is on all day when you're at work. How long is the engine going to last? When we have poor posture, who's holding you up all day? These guys. The muscle in the back holding, but they burn your life without you knowing it. So it's like I said earlier, you know, you have the, the, the app running without you knowing it. When you have poor posture, you're drained. And the other thing we talk about stress, right? It doesn't matter where stress comes from, physical stress, chemical stress, emotional stress, they all drain from the one battery that we have. So if you have physical stress on top of emotional stress, you wonder why we don't break down. Our brain is very complicated. It takes 25% of your oxygen at any time. So it's run like crazy, right? So think about it. If your brain was meant to work eight hour a day, but your battery's almost 50%. So what happened after half a day, you only have 50 instant drain. You, you take away from your immune system, you take away. That's why stress kills people. But they forget the physical stress is as important. And that's one thing you can change. It's hard to change mental stress because you don't identify them. But physical stress, you know? Think about it. If your body's stressed throughout all day, whole lifting, you go to the gym for another hour, you think that's helping? I don't know, let you guys decide. You work 12 hours, you add another four hours, you make, you know, over time, is that 
good at the beginning, but at the end of the day, long term, is that good for you? You see, so exercise, I think we, we get confused between being fit and being healthy. Exercise makes you feel good. Why? Because your adrenaline is pumping. You, you feel great because your circulation is going. But if you have so much lactic acid build up from, you know, poor posture, from muscle over you, from tightness, and you go and you grind them more, what happened there? Your, your joint and your back will prematurely wear and tear. It's not about dying. It's not about pain. Your body was last. Everybody want to live long, right? You want to last until 80, 90 because you're tired at 65. You want to have 10, 15 years to enjoy yourself, right? But if the, all the joint die at 60 or 50, what happened then? We don't have spare part, right? At least not yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that's why I say I, I, I love the term. I make it up. I say I'm an antique restorator. I, I restore your antique. Mm-hmm. Right, but one thing that there's, there's no one pill for everything. Stress, you have to identify your physical stress, your mental stress, and food. That's another thing. Your body cannot work in empty calorie. Mm-hmm. Imagine you work and you make no money for a month. Yeah, it's great, but you know, you're gonna live. How you can pay your mortgage, right? If you feed your body nothing but grass, how are you gonna live? You start saving, you change the saving, and one day you're gonna break down. So, you know, just identify different stress you have. But phys- don't forget, physical, chemical, and mental. All three of those are extremely important. And you can address any of them. And that's where chiropractic come in, massage therapists come in, acupuncturists come in, physical therapists come in. We help you. Think about it. human uh, community, right? You, you take a village to raise a child, right? Same with you guys. Right? You make the money and you, you kill yourself in the, mean, in, the, the, you know, in the process. Let us slow down that time. I'm not here to promote my, my, my profession, but trust me, if everybody go to chiropractic care, they'll be a lot healthier. Imagine you have a car for 50 years and you never take it in for any checkup. Any, you think that car going to last that long? Your, our body is the same thing. Yeah. We never take it in for any, and say, oh, I don't have pain. Well, how many if it's pain is killing people, people don't have stroke, they don't have heart attack. Joint disease doesn't cause pain until it's too late. Yeah, makes sense. Well, no, I mean, I think this is a great, I, I, now that I'm thinking about it, like how do you actually maintain your body? Because I think a lot of entrepreneurs are so thinking forward around like, how do I take care of the people around me, how do I take care of my clients? And then like, it's almost like a- But they forgot about themselves. Exactly. Right? So they say in any business, so I had a business coaching one and he said, Dr. Tran, for you to keep your business running, you have to put a bit back at least 10 to 20% of your income, right? Why don't you put 5% of your income back into your body every year? You might live longer too. It's an interesting way to look at like, right. that's a grill. I've never, dang, we're just having mic drops in here. Yeah. <laughs> Who's work for you? You know, you you all about the who's working for you? Right. This body. We we expend ourselves or expend ourselves for our consumers, our clients, our work, our kids, our spouses, and what's left. Yeah. We, I got to take a nap. Like that's kind of like the end of the day. It's like I got to go. That's the care Do that it. we give ourselves. We yeah. go sleep, right? Yeah. But we got to do more. Yes. Right. You got to go in. You got to go into the body shop. Literally, the body shop. The body shop. Seriously, because just, we are a machine. Right. And be was like, I was just trying, I thought my body can heal. Yes. But did you ever give it time to heal? Right. It's like you need to fix this room and you never stop working. You never stop using this room. Anybody can come and fix this. No. You never give your time heal and you don't feed them. 
just think about it. Your car, when you drive your car, right? The more you drive, the more often your oil change. Yep. But we are the opposite. The busier we are, the less we eat. Yep. And then weekend, we do nothing, we eat a lot. And you wonder why we have things that we don't want. Because we don't eat appropriately, you know. Just if you think about hunter gathering, right? If you don't hunt where you get feet, you don't have food to eat. You don't have a fit where you saw all the stuff and you go out. No, you have to go and work for it and then get the food. Now we don't do that much anymore. So then with the habit is like in the weekend we have party, we have so much, and then we're busy. We don't we don't eat much. And then that's the thing, and then when you gain a little weight, you get scared, so you start cutting everything back. And you wonder why you're sick. You know, you, you maybe you might look heavy, you may have overweight, but you don't have the nutrient that your body needs running because fat is very hard to burn. Just like you put money in, in the CD, right? Mm. A stock. Then you can't use stock to buy food. Our body can use fat to burn when you're starving. You need something right away. That's why sweet, that's what, how they mess you up with sweet. But your muscle is being burned out for food when you're, not, when you're hungry. Your muscle is breaking down. So that's why sometimes I have patients that say, let's try and I work out for three months, but I'm going to gain any weight. Well, do you change your diet? No, I eat the same. <laughs> so you don't change your diet. You eat very little and you work out very hard. You're actually eating yourself alive every day. Where do you get fused from? Yeah. Your own muscle. Well, this is a great, I just want to kind of, well, first off, Dr. Tran, thank you for coming out and just sharing this. I think one, your journey is really inspirational. I think it also give a lot of people inspiration about like, you know, where they're at in life, but also the tidbits on like how to manage stress because the insight for a lot of entrepreneurs that are constantly grinding or worried or whatever, and they're constantly working that they don't actually take the time to pause, say, where's the stress coming from? How do I manage it? And then also understand how that stress manifests into physical challenges and how do you actually want to reinvest in your body to make sure that you're actually at optimal speed to be able to go build that business. So I just want to say thank you because this was like one of the best podcasts we've had as far as like a personal journey and how it actually uh, correlates mindset from like a personal journey that actually was like life or death, literally, uh, and how that overlays into business, which isn't life or death, but it's actually how we facilitate our lives. So thank you. Yeah. And you know, we, I think we spent, we spent a lot of time on this podcast because talking about mental acuity, mental awareness, and mental health, but we never talk about the physical aspects of it. So that's why, that's why like, I'm sitting here thinking, I'm like, gosh, I've never, I'm not going to say never, but I seldom go to a chiropractor unless I'm kinked or tweaked. Uh, I'm going to rethink some things. Just think about the laptop, right? You update the software, but what about the hardware? Yeah. I remember a few days ago, like my, my father-in-law was so funny. He's like, Son, I, he had a, like a five-year-old phone. He's like, can, can can you can you put this app in for me? What I'm saying, oh, sorry, Dad, your phone's too old for this app. Our body's the same thing, right? Sometimes our mind is younger than our body because we never take care of the body. Yes. They have to work together. You know, otherwise one of those outdated. That's it. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in, and make sure you turn in next week for another great episode of Entrepreneurial Impact. And uh, thanks, Dave, and thanks, Dr. Tran. Well, thank you for having me. Have a great day, everybody.